Hello, my friends. It's me again. It's been a while. Where should we begin? We're going to begin with the sadness, probably, I think is what I've decided on. But yes, it's Tim. It's the honor roll. Haven't done this in about a month. Some stuff going on. Haven't had as much time to watch horror movies, unfortunately. I've, I've been able to fit five in in the past month and a half, but I kind of fell off my schedule. Anyway, this is the honor roll. What I do here is I take a look at five movies, and then I decide which ones I like enough to put on the honor roll. The honor roll at the end of the year is what I'll choose my top ten movies of the year from. It's just kind of a fun way for me to uh, keep watching new horror movies and and talk about them a little bit, because that's what I like to do. Patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet is our Patreon. If you want to get exclusive access to this, our Tiny Terrors, we just... Recorded a very fun Tiny Terror where we talk a little bit about the upcoming Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. And we also talk about some of our past experiences with haunted houses in general. And also we kind of we pitch some haunted house themes based on existing horror properties and even one or two non-horror properties. It's very fun. Nikki sat with us and we had a good time this one. Then, uh, But you can also get the uh, Midwest Game Nerds. They have their bonus episodes as well. You can get those. That's patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet. All right, that's enough. That's enough plugs. Let's get to some movies here because, yeah, it's been a while. So this is The Sadness. Now, The Sadness is a movie I watched. So bear with me. I probably watched this about a month and a half ago. Bear with me as I try to remember what happened. Ooh, I don't hope I don't knock my Coke Zero over. But this is a Shutter exclusive. It's written and directed by Ron Jabaz. It's about a young couple trying to reunite amid a city ravaged by a plague that turns its victims into deranged, bloodthirsty sadists. It's kind of a zombie movie, kind of not a zombie movie. There's some been some back and forth on it. I fall on it being kind of like 28 days later in the sense that it's close enough to a zombie movie that I'm going to count it. It's also a Taiwanese movie. I have been looking forward to this one probably for over a year or so now. This was released in 2021 in Taiwan. It also played at Fantasia and Fantastic Fest. It had quite a bit of buzz. Uh, Rumorg, Rumorg magazine. Last year, I got a copy of my Rumorg and on the cover it referred to the sadness as the most violent and depraved zombie movie ever made. So, there you go. How, how's that for a pull quote? Now, once again, back to the question. Is this a zombie movie? Kind of. I don't really, I don't know. I don't want to get into the tropes. Like what constitutes a zombie movie and what doesn't. I think this is close enough to me. It did lead me into learning about a Garth Ennis book. Now, I go back and forth on Garth Ennis. Sometimes I really like his stuff. Sometimes there's stuff like The Boys that I think softens that Ennis touch a little bit and makes it a little bit more palatable for me um, to to enjoy. Because, it, yeah, it kind of softens the harshness of a Garth Ennis work. Because sometimes I can find him to be a little bit much, maybe a little bit edgelordy, if you will. But there is a book called, a comic book from 2010, I believe, called Crossed that I read an interview with Jabaz. I think it was on iHorror.com to credit them. I do not remember the author's name and I apologize or the interviewer, but they talk about 
how he was familiar with Ennis's book, but it didn't really necessarily inspire him during the making of it. It may have inspired him, but he wasn't he wasn't consciously alluding to it with with the movie itself, with the sadness. Uh, Crossed follows survivors dealing with a pandemic that causes its victims to carry out their most evil thoughts. So there you go. You can right away, just from that brief, brief IMDb synopsis I read off earlier, you can kind of see the parallels between, between Crossed and the sadness. But the contagion is spread through bodily fluids the Crossed have used to great effect by treating their weapons with their fluids, as well as other forms of direct contact, such as rape and bites, assuming the victim lives long enough to turn. Now, here's the important part, too, when it comes to the sadness. A major difference between The Cross and other fictional zombie works are virus epidemics. The Cross have retained their intelligence, so they are they know what they're doing. They have a basic human level of intelligence, and that is something, without spoiling too much here, that you see in the sadness too. I'm going to read a quote here because it kind of sums up the sadness in a way as well, but this is from Rob Jabez himself in that same interview. He says, and the other thing too is that Crossed really is kind of like The Walking Dead. I think he's referring, well, maybe to the TV, but I'm a little bit more familiar with the comic book, The Walking Dead, but it's like The Walking Dead thing where it's about the survivors. And what it ultimately is, is about how you have to become a shitty person to steal in this shitty world. There are times when I find there may be some truth to that, unfortunately. Then there are times when I just, I do kind of look at quotes like that and go, hey, come on, buck up. But then there are a lot of times when I don't. (laughs) So anyway, a review of The Sadness, a quick one. I liked it. I think this is one of those movies, though, I've talked a little bit about the festival effect and the festival buzz that comes out of it, I think this might fit into that where people see a movie at a festival and they, they've got that buzz going and they watch it and maybe they up it by about one or two notches above what I think it really is. But it's understandable. I keep coming back to that Rue Morgue quote, though, that most violent and depraved zombie movie ever made. I don't know if I would go that far. I think it tries, especially one. There's one part in particular. There are a couple of great moments. I'm thinking of the train scene, the subway scene, whatever you call it. In particular, I think that is kind of a uh, a standout moment in this movie. There is a, there is an eye socket scene though that I think is very obviously in there too, and I think it's what a lot of people are referring to when they talk about this movie being so violent, so transgressive in its violence. And I think that's the one, that's the depraved scene. I'm torn on this scene in the same way that I am torn on the movie itself, where maybe I don't, and maybe this is just me getting older, but I don't necessarily, I'm to the point now where I don't know if I understand why something like that, why it exists. I guess I do, because it's showing you how depraved and violent and how shitty humans and people can be at their most base level. And that's part of the point of it too. But there isn't much beyond this movie sometimes. And it's kind of summed up in that scene with more than just people equals shit, which is basically the depth of the title of a Slipknot song. And I don't 
I didn't grasp a ton beyond that. And it's kind of one of those things where I just, I do kind of shrug my shoulders and I go, well, yeah, do you have anything deeper to say? And that, and I don't want, I don't think it's fair to the whole movie, but that scene, eh, maybe it is fair to the whole movie. Now I'll get into what I did like the effects. The effects are done by, I believe Jabaz and uh, let me see if I can find the name here. Uh, Logan Spang- Spranger. And they, they have a team called SFX, if SFX Art Maker. And they do the effects. And I think these really, I'm going to be honest with you, the gore and everything, as messed up and crazy as it sounds, kind of carries this movie. And it does lead to those shocking moments being shocking, which is what the movie is going for. I guess I just wish, like some of those great zombie movies, those great contagion movies, those great infection movies of the past, maybe there, I wish there was a little bit more to sink my teeth into. Now, Jabaz is a Canadian filmmaker, so we've been covering on the, on the, on the mothership, uh, on the main show, Horror Movie Yearbook, we've been going through our summer of 80s Cronenberg, and we're kind of past that early Cronenberg stuff. So my hope is, because there's a ton of talent here, behind the camera, and in front of the camera, and with the effects team that has been put together for this movie, The Sadness, there's a ton of talent here, and my hope is once he refines those tools, we'll get to see maybe this is his shivers. Maybe this is his rabid, where he's kind of cutting his teeth, and then in a couple movies, maybe his next movie even, we'll get something really, really, truly special. Now, I know I've sounded a little bit negative on this movie, and the question I always ask is, is this on the honor roll? I'm going to put this on there, actually, and I've gone back and forth, and I just got back from a walk where I've been thinking about this movie, and that is why, actually, I'm putting this on the honor roll, is because I haven't stopped, been able to stop thinking about it and my thoughts on it. And I do think at the end of the year, I'm going to come back to this movie, and I might even rewatch it, and maybe I will find something deeper maybe that depth that I'm looking for. So, yes, I am going to put the sadness on the honor roll. All right, let's talk about the movie that may have led me taking a break from watching movies, watching horror movies, watching new horror movies, I should say, because I was a little bit worn out. We're going to talk about the Firestarter remake. A young girl tries to understand how she mysteriously gained the power to set things on fire with her mind. That is a pretty basic and accurate plot summary from IMDb, directed by Keith Thomas, from a screenplay by Scott Teams, starring Zac Efron, Ryan Keir Armstrong, Michael Grayeyes, Kurtwood Smith, John Beasley. Great cast. Great cast. This is a Blumhouse movie. Now, Blumhouse, there's been some good stuff, of course, They've also, I'm going to say they've had a pretty spotty track record in the last three or four years. I mean, there's been, of course, some good stuff in there. Uh, The Invisible Man remake and stuff like that. But there has also been your movies like Fantasy Island, Truth or Dare, The Craft Legacy. They haven't all been hits from the Blood Blood, Blumhouse, not Bloodhouse. Maybe start that up. From the Blumhouse production company and I would put Firestarter along with those movies I just mentioned nobody sets out to make a bad movie the effort is there sometimes things just don't work and honestly this is a book this is a King book that I'm a fan of a Stephen King book I like but it's not my favorite I think it's a cool book but 
if you are going to make a Firestarter movie, you have to go all in on some of the themes, particularly about a young girl coming into her own as a woman that are very prevalent in the book and that I don't think have been... That's the main crux of the book, honestly, in my opinion. And if you don't go go all in there, which this movie does not seem to, then I, you have kind of what you have, which is kind of a dull, sleepy adaptation. Now, another thing... I used to be kind of excited, more excited, when a Blumhouse movie would hit. Because I liked their output, for the most part. Now, another thing that I was excited for a couple years ago, whenever they would come out, were King adaptations. I thought we were going to end up being in the golden era of King, new King adaptations. Now, what I'm going to do here, because I'm becoming less excited about a lot of these King adaptations as well, I'm going to play a little pick between the old King movies and adaptations and the new King movie TV adaptations. I'm throwing some TV in here as well. One in particular. Let's start with The Pet Cemetery, the old 1980s movie versus the new one. The old one went hands down. The new one, once again, was just, it, it was missing something. It was kind of sleepy. It was kind of dull. There are interesting aspects of it. I think... Uh, the old one just captures. Uh, the old one, maybe it's nostalgia. I don't know. I'm going with the old one there. It. This is a tough one because I like both adaptations, but I prefer the new one. So we're going to give the new one the the Duke here. I think it's a little bit more, I think it's more faithful in a lot of ways. I like It Chapter 2. I like the older cast. I like it in the original too. This is really, this is a tough choice. I'm going with the new It. The Stand. The old, is it the Gary Sinise, I believe? Is Gary Sinise in it? Um, the old adaptation, it's been a while since I've seen it, versus the new one that was on Paramount Plus, and like, pick your poison here. I'm going to old one. Then The Shining, let's do The Shining versus, and I'm going to throw the, I'm going to throw Dr. Sleep in there. And I'm going to give, as controversial as this may be, I'm actually not, I like The Shining and I respect it. I love Dr. Sleep, though. And I, doc, I think Dr. Sleep kind of captures maybe even some of that hopefulness that kind of bleeds through in a lot of Kings, even his darker works, except for Pet, Pet Cemetery, weirdly enough. But uh, I'm going to go with Dr. Sleep over The Shining. So there we go. We're 2-2. And now I'm going to have to choose between the Firestarter remake that just came out and the old Drew Barrymore version from the 1980s. And can I choose... Firestarter Reborn? Because I don't think you'll run. Is any good? I'll go with the old one. So there you go. The old King adaptations are in the lead right now. I guess we'll have to wait and see what else comes out. I don't have every King adaptation and development in front of me right now. I'm sure there are a million. This is, I mentioned it, I've kind of gone over my thoughts. I don't want to focus on the negative too much. I will say I think it delivers in the last act. I think the last act is fun once things kind of get going and go off the rails a little bit. The thing that carries this movie, for me, though, is the score. And I think this is the main positive from this movie. The musical score, the soundtrack by John Carpenter, Daniel Davies, and Cody Carpenter. I don't know why I would say it in that order. It should be John Carpenter, his son, Cody Carpenter, and then Daniel Davies. He should be at the end. The two, the father-son should be at the beginning. Um, this... This thing carries movies and it's fun because, of course, Carpenter was attached to the 1980s 
version of the movie before it was before it became what it became. He was he was going to do it. Uh, it also led to a terrific exchange in a recent John Carpenter interview, I think with Consequence of Sound is who it was with, uh, where John says, oh, yeah, there would be. He's talking about Metallica, his favorite Metallica albums. So here you go. Write these down if you want John Carpenter's favorite Metallica albums. And it's a little bit more mainstream than I thought. He says the Black Album, Load and Reload, right in a row. He says, I know they don't think it's pure, but I love it. I thought it was great. Metallica are metal. Even when they take a detour, went down the load-reload road, I was with them. So there you go. John Carpenter, a big load and reload fan. He also says, well, Megadeth I kind of enjoy. So there you go. Nice little shot at Dave Mustaine. But the score is classic Carpenter. It's moody. It's catchy. It's full of the Carpenter piano and Sith. Uh, The end titles are great. If you're looking for one track to sample from the soundtrack, I would point to the end titles because classic Carpenter. Uh, the movie is not on the honor roll, no, though Firestarter, the remake, not on the honor roll. All right, let's move on to Mad God. This is another, I've got a couple Shudder exclusives on here. I've talked about one of them in the sadness. I've got this one, and then I've got the found footage documentary coming up in a little bit. But this is Mad God. A corroded diving bell descends amidst a ruined city and the assassin emerges from it to explore a labyrinth of bizarre landscapes inhabited by freakish denizens. This is written and directed by Phil Tippett, starring Alex Cox, Nikita Roman, and Satish Redakonda. Phil Tippett is probably best known for effects works. He's an effects works guy. He worked on Star Wars, of course. So Tippett is, he's been doing this for 30 years. He's got two Academy Awards, but... Star Wars, he was hired by George Lucas to do the, uh, what's the, uh, the chess, the miniature chess scene in there. And then he, he, um, created the Imperial Walkers and the Tauntauns. He worked with Paul Verhoeven a couple of times. He worked on Robocop. He worked on Starship Troopers. He did some work, some CG work actually for Jurassic Park. And he was, he was mostly known for stop motion animation. And this is a, a stop motion animated movie. Now, so that's Phil Tippett. He has been working on this particular movie, according to him, and according to some of the background I read on this, for 30 years. And in an interview I read recently with him, he says, basically, he doesn't feel like he's finished with it. And I think that's an important lesson, maybe, for some perfectionists out there, maybe. You're never going to be happy with the finished product. Sometimes, much like Phil Tippett said in this interview, you just have to get it out there and get it done so that you can move on to the next thing. And But with Mad God, this feels kind of like the a life's work put into about 80 minutes of filmmaking. This feels like someone's mission statement, maybe their summation of their beliefs, their life philosophy put onto screen in about 80 minutes. And honestly, it's exhilarating. This is a, um, this movie is a vibe. If ever there was a movie that was a vibe because it's mostly plotless. There are three characters, assassin, uh, the alchemist and the last human. Uh, They're voiced. They're all looking for a way out. This is, it's a very unique movie movie for sure. One of the things I've, I can be kind of, I think I come across, maybe Willie and I do too on the main show, maybe negative on streaming. And I know there's a lot of people that are negative toward just how much content there is just floating about. And for people, 
maybe like myself who who feel the need to have to keep track of everything um it's impossible now and i will have to make i'll make i'll have to accept that but on the other hand on the flip side of streaming it allows for movies like this to be movies like mad god to be seen by a wider audience that makes them more available in streaming services because they need content and because they're trying to find all these niche audiences they will put something like this and shutter is terrific at this and i've i've lobbed some criticism at them um in the past couple months but i overall it's a terrific service and part of the reason is because they will put a movie like mad god on their service and they will get behind it and they will throw it up front on the front page in an effort to get pe- more people to watch that and i really i think that's i think that's outstanding i think this is a challenging movie I think it is a difficult movie. I think the stop motion animation is incredible. I'm not like a huge, I'm not an expert on stop motion. I'm a fan of it when I've seen it, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell you it beyond like the basics of it. Now I, I, but the animation is, it's hypnotic. It's, there are bits of Harryhausen in it, who I know was an influence on Phil Tippett coming up, but uh, Terry Gilliam is sprinkled in there as well. The soundtrack is terrific and it needs to be because this is a mostly silent movie that's another thing too if you aren't maybe a fan of silent cinema maybe you shouldn't give this one a shot i still think you should because honestly i love this movie it's the type of movie that feels like you are watching someone's life work life's work as it unfolds and honestly uh, from what i've read that's because you are so mad god is on shutter now I think it's, this is a bleak movie. It gets pretty dark on humanity creation. It questions reality, the reality you live in. I mean, he talks in that same interview I'm referring to about how uh, we've all, uh, United States in particular, have just become complete and total psychopaths. And it's it's the truth. We've become psychotic. We've become a psychotic culture. And, oh, I, I guess I editorialized a little bit there. I said it's the truth. But, but maybe there is some truth to that is what I should say. But I think what, what separates it from just being an overly bleak exercise on just how nasty and awful humanity is, is the beauty in its storytelling. And it is a bittersweet movie, but it's also almost whimsically bleak as well. So, if you're a fan of animation, if you're a fan of just oddness, odd storytelling in general, I think this is as good as it gets. It's on Shutter now. Check it out if you're in the mood for something different. I, different. I really, really loved Mad God. It is on the honor roll. All right, let us stick with Shutter because we might as well while we're there. We don't want to leave too soon uh, because I've got something kind of off topic at the end of the episode as well. But let's go with, uh, let's talk about the found footage phenomenon. The found footage phenomenon is an independent documentary charting the origins of the found footage subgenre, tracking it through the technique's current form and asking what the future is for found footage, I guess. This was done by Sarah Appleton. I don't guess. I know. I watched this movie. This is done by Sarah Appleton and Philip Escott. They're a couple of documentary filmmakers. She worked on... I don't know if they both worked on it, but Sarah Appleton worked on the Woodlands um, documentary that uh, the the horror documentary that came out on Shutter earlier this year. They talked a little bit about 
Um, and I like to throw documentaries in here every once in a while. I don't watch a ton of them, but particularly if they are like this, and I've liked Shudder's documentaries in the past. I really like the Boris Karloff one that is up on there now. And of course, Horror Noir is one of my favorite documentaries. This is more, this is probably similar to that. I don't think it's as effective as that documentary, Horror Noir, because I think that did a better job of kind of diving into the social impact and this tries it goes off on a couple tangents that are interesting at least but yeah so this is a talking head style documentary you've got people like Andre Overdahl who did Troll Hunter Eduardo Sanchez of course who did the Blair Witch Patrick Bryce who did Creep a couple of other independent filmmakers the guy who did found footage 3D that was so that's a that's kind of a negative I'll throw at this one too some of the some of the movies that are discussed on here, and I think some of the movies that take a back seat, some of the movies that are discussed on here, I think maybe the filmmakers inflated the importance of because they were able to either get access to them or they the movie was on the shutter streaming service. Honestly, um, so what I was it got me thinking though it got me it's not a genre that I love. It's a genre there where there are movies that I really like and maybe even love. So some of my favorite, it got me thinking about my favorite found footage movies. And the ones that come to mind for me are Creep, um, The Blair Witch Project. I really like the Hell House movies. I love The Blair Witch Project, by the way, and I love the sequel as well. But I really, really like the Hell House movies. One, two, I like all three of them, actually. They are very fun haunted house style found footage movies and they they work the gimmick to perfection and sometimes that's all I want especially out of a haunted house found footage movies they're great ghost watch I'm glad ghost watch got some love on this documentary it's kind of this old uh, I think 1992 30 years old now British horror comedy that's meant to look like kind of a like a fake BBC ghost hunters style found footage documentary it's really fun and it's kind of a neat look at early found footage spoof really and it's kind of in the same vein as some of the stuff the movie talks about too which is oh alien autopsy alien autopsy was like this old documentary it was a fake alien autopsy put together by these filmmakers and then fox way back when the x-files was blown up i think in like 1996 this is when it was on put together a kind of faux documentary style show hosted by Jonathan Frakes absolutely as all things should be hosted by Jonathan Frakes and they it, it freaked the hell out of me as a young gullible child it was it was essentially they played it straight as showing you an alien autopsy crazy stuff here um, and the other one I wanted to throw in real quick is As Above, So Below, which we've covered on the podcast, but is a movie that I really, really like. And it's kind of like a, a little bit like The Descent, almost like an Indiana Jones horror found footage movie, and I, I dig it a lot. So, this is interesting. They talk about kind of the difference between big budget found footage horror movies and independent ones, and how big budget ones tend to use found footage more for the stylistic elements. And I thought that was an interesting take. The other interesting take and the other new thing that I had never really thought about that was brought up by this film was how Dracula is kind of, they like and found footage to Dracula because Dracula is written in kind of a journal, like a journal entry. And yeah, I can see that. It's kind of like a first person retelling of events. 
I think uh, they talk about the old ra- War of the Worlds radio broadcast. It's, it, it really dives into what the goal of a good found footage movie should be. Well, I mean, not should be, but what can be. It's how it kind of tricks your mind into thinking stuff like this is real and really occurring and how frightening that can and should be. Um, they talk a little bit about Cannibal Holocaust and there should be a warning up front that there are some animal cruelty in that movie that they play in this documentary. They talk about the role Vietnam played in this movie and particularly the television coverage of Vietnam at the time and how that kind of works into found footage. Um, I, I don't recall there being much in the vein of like covering faces of death, traces of death, stuff like that. But that should be, uh, that should be mentioned as well. I think this is a solid documentary. I don't like it as much. I thought the Boris Karloff one earlier this year was a little bit more focused. Same thing with horror noir. I thought this one, I thought this lingered a little bit too long on certain movies, certain subjects. I thought it was a little bit too focused on, like I said, on, maybe Shutter exclusives at the end and maybe movies that weren't as important to the genre while I, I don't know. I kind of saw stuff like, and we can go back and forth on paranormal activity, but I thought that kind of got, because they didn't get access to the filmmakers. It seemed like I kind of thought that took a backseat to some, some other movies that aren't as important to the subgenre. And I guess I, I have read a couple of reviews that kind of point that out and say, well, Everybody knows about those movies, and I would counter that and say, no, they don't. There are people discovering those movies and discovering horror movies and wanting to learn about horror movies all the time, and they don't come into each documentary with the same level of knowledge. So I think when you maybe sidestep something because you think it's been covered to death, that might not necessarily be true. And maybe you shouldn't do that. That's what I'm saying. But uh, no. Uh, anyway, this is a good, solid watch. I'm not going to put it on the honor roll. I did not like it as much as some of the other documentaries I've seen on the service. But it is definitely interesting and definitely worth a watch. So there you go. Not on the honor roll, but good. All right. Let's knock this bad boy out with one more. Actually, we got one more segment coming up. Yeah, it's a long one. My return back. I ramble sometimes. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, legendary. This is Studio... 666, a movie that I have been looking forward to for a while. And, oh, yeah, rest in peace, Taylor Harkins. Um, this, of course, has been was released a while back, and, yeah. Uh, legendary rock band the Foo Fighters move into an, an Encino mansion steeped in grisly rock and roll history to record their much-anticipated 10th album. Directed by B.J. McDonald, starring D, or written by, based on a story by Jeff by Dave Grohl, Jeff Bueller, and Rebecca Hughes, starring the Foo Fighters, like I mentioned, the late Taylor Hawkins, who recently passed. Um, he passed after the re- release of this movie, is what I was trying to say there. Um, but also Will Forte, Jenna Ortega, Jeff Carlin, Whitney Cummings. There are some other fun cameos as well that I will not ruin. What I want to do here, though, is because there's not much, there's not a ton to talk about in this movie. I'm a Foo Fighters fan. I like the Foo Fighters. I always see on Reddit, People do their tier rankings, but I don't have a Reddit account. I just uh, lurk, I think is the term for it, and I read other people's tier rankings. I want to do my Foo Fighters tier rankings uh, because it's uh, this is my show and I can do what I want. Uh, but you always have to start with the S tier. This is, I guess, the, the special tier. Is that what it stands for? The S tier stuff? 
And so my S tier Foo Fighters albums are The Color and the Shape and There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Those are my two S tier. I've got two of them. I think you can have two of them, right? I've seen people with two of them. The self-titled album is kind of a test run, in my opinion, for Color and the Shape. And the Color and the Shape is where they kind of stepped away from and out of their Nirvana shadow and became their own thing, in my opinion. And it's the last album, I think, with Pat Smear for a few years. Um, this back-to-back, though, these back-to-back albums, this uh, Color and the Shape and Nothing Less to Lose, this is top-tier Foo Fighters to me. This is prime Foo Fighters to me. Uh, there is Nothing Left to Lose also features my favorite Foo Fighter song of all times, which is Stacked Actors. Not ever long, Stacked Actors. A tier, self-titled Foo Fighters, and then I've got Wasting Light on here. I'm going to start with self-titled. I don't have it in the S tier because I, I do think it's a, I think it's a little fatty, oddly enough, which is an issue for a lot of their albums, especially moving forward. It's only 44 minutes long, but there's some even some filler in that. I think it actually would have been better if it were pared down to about 10 songs um, and 10 tracks and maybe around like, 30 something minutes it's also like i mentioned it's a little bit it's still a little bit too nirvana ish for me and i like nirvana a lot don't get me wrong but it's not what the foo fighters would turn into um the other one i have on here is wasting light so this album i think is awesome um of modern foo fighters it's the one i put up with the kind of classic era of Foo Fighters albums. There are some songs on this album that I absolutely love and that are some of my favorite Foo Fighters songs. Bridge Burning, Walk, Dear Rosemary Rules, Arlandria. I love, I love, love, love that album. B tier, one by one, in your in your honor, Echoes, Patience, Silence, and Grace. So this is another kind of back-to-back thing, triple threat. This is when, like, they got into... So, like, One by One is a solid rock album with a couple of great sim, sim, uh, singles, but it kicks off in an era of Foo Fighters where I like the singles, but not necessarily the entire albums. In Your Honor is, like, it's a double album, and I am going to be completely honest with you, that first disc is a solid rock album, but I don't remember a lot of the acoustic. There's an acoustic album, disc two. I don't remember a lot of that. Um, I do like the first disc quite a bit, but that second disc kind of drags it down for me. Echoes, Patience, Silence, and Grace is one. This is kind of the album I fell out of Foo Fighters for a while. This tier is mostly made up of kind of pretty comfortable, uh, just straightforward rock albums. It's kind of the era where I just kind of, I like some of these songs, but like I said, it's more singles than anything else. What do I got here? Oh, it's C tier. What do I got here? Medicine at Midnight is on C tier for me. I don't have any on F tier. I'm not I'm not gonna do that. I never fail. I never give a failing grade on here unless I really hate something. And I don't hate any of these. Sonic Highways and Concrete and Gold. I'm not crazy about any of these albums. Although I was looking at the track list for Concrete and Gold, and I might actually swap out that double disc or the um in your honor with concrete and gold, because I might like this one a little better. Um, but honestly, like I was actually very excited for Sonic highways and I thought it kind of stunk. I think it mostly kind of stinks. There's there are a few good songs. Um, yeah, that's it. I mean, this is kind of a medicine at midnight is the newest one. I actually haven't listened to the studio six, six, six soundtrack, but medicine at midnight is kind of newest one. And it's fine. It's fine. It kind of continues their kind of current run of okay stuff. Um, stuff I'm not really crazy about, but you may be asking, what about the movie? Uh, it's fun. <laughs> Seemed like they had quite a, fun, a bit of fun making it. And honestly, it's indulgent, but whatever. Um, 
Dave Grohl gets the most to do in this movie, and he's basically doing his kind of Jack Black. You can tell he's worked with Jack Black in the past. Uh, the T- Tenacious D movie is what I'm thinking, and Tenacious D in general. You can tell he's doing a very uh, not subtle Jack Black impression. Pet Smear seems to be having a lot of fun in this movie. Pet Smear is terrific in this movie. If you if you are bored during this movie, wait till Pet Smear is on the screen, and then you could see a guy who um, I assume ruined so many takes. They just kept in the ones where it looked like he was laughing the entire time, and that's okay because this movie is very silly. It's not meant to be taken seriously. There's some really good gore in it. Some really good. Um, there's some good. There's some funny tongue in cheek humor stuff. There's some. F- some of it's funny. Some of it doesn't land for me. That all depends on your sense of humor, I think. Studio 666, I had fun with it. It's not on the honor roll, but I did have fun with it, and it got me to fill out my tier rankings, my Foo Fighter tier rankings, and I think that's the most important thing. So there you go. All right, so we are, and part of the reason I wanted to get back on track here is we're halfway through 2022. Time flies. Just in general. (laughs) Uh, But I want to recap kind of the first half of 2022 because I think it's been a solid, solid year so far. A couple of big budget horror movies that have hit. I'm looking forward to some stuff in the back half of 2022. I'm going to see The Black Phone this weekend. We've got um, Nope coming out. We've got the new Halloween coming out later on. uh, The new Evil Dead is coming out later in the year. But movie-wise, and I'm... I don't think I'll ever catch up on TV because I'm still only three episodes into Stranger Things season four, and I like it a lot. I think it's terrific, but I don't know if I'll ever, because I, I, after Stranger Things, I would really like to watch Yellow Jackets, and maybe I will. Maybe I'll do something for that, but let's. I want to recap where we're at with the honor roll itself, so this is kind of a first half of 2022. Here are the movies that I really liked, so... First up, we have See For Me. This is on Shudder now. So that one made the honor roll. Scream, the new Scream made the honor roll. Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. That's the documentary that's on Shudder. That I put on the honor roll. I really like that. I put the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on there as well. You know, I can't go back. I'm leaving it on there. I I had fun in the moment. That's on Netflix. They're talking about doing a sequel. I say go for it because who cares at this point? Throw it on there. A Banquet. That's another one that I'm... That's on Shudder now. Man, that's another one I was in a giving mood, I think. Hellbender on Shudder. That's the Adams Family. Um, the family movie, I should say. That is a really cool indie movie. That is also on Shudder. Fresh. I think I like this more than a lot of people. This is the uh, Sebastian Stan movie that's on Hulu. The Hulu original. Well, I don't think it's a Hulu original. It was a Fox Searchlight picture. It's on Hulu now. It's kind of like a mix of a romantic comedy and a cannibal movie. I really dug it. X, the Ty West movie. I love, I'm a Ty West fan now. Hated, hated his movies when I was younger. But now that I've grown older, I love Ty West. Can't get enough. And honestly, X is his best movie in my opinion. The Spine of Night. Oh, I forgot about that. That's kind of the, uh, the heavy metal style. I've got two animated movies on the honor roll. And I am totally okay with that. But that's kind of the heavy metal, like big fantasy uh, kind of horror-ish movie that's on Shudder right now. You Are Not My Mother. That's the uh, that's the Irish movie. I dug that quite a bit. Virus 32 on Shudder. That might be my favorite zombie movie of the year so far. Because I liked it a little bit better than 
the sadness. Yeah. The cursed dog, the cursed that's on VOD now let the wrong one in that kind of scrappy, I think Irish, uh, comedy. I really like that with, um, Giles from Buffy, Anthony Stewart head. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Uh, let the wrong one in. I think that's on VOD now. Maybe wait till that one hits a streaming service, but it's, it is like I said, kind of a scrappy independent comedy. Very, very silly. Very funny. Then, of course, from this episode, we have Mad God and the Sadness, which I talked about, but those two are on there as well. So I think a pretty solid list so far. I'm still, there's still some bigger budget stuff to come out in the second half of the year. There's still some stuff that I really want to catch up on. Excuse me. As you can tell, I've been drinking Coke Zero this entire time, so you may have heard me pause to to belch. But anyway, I got to get out of here. It's good to be back. Um, Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, seriously for listening, continuing your support of the Midwest Podnet, Midwest Podcast Network. It means a lot to us. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. And I will be back next time on the honor roll. And make sure to check out Horror Movie Yearbook and the Midwest Game Nerds for the best podcasts out there. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>